As I've shared in this podcast before, when I was younger, I really didn't enjoy reading. As I got older, of course, I found great pleasure in reading books. When I was younger, I was always told when and what I should read, which turned me off to the whole process. In this special milestone episode, I asked the question, do the students in your school love to read? This week's guest, Evan Robb, shares how his battle with reading and writing as a child established his belief and strategies to increase literacy in all schools. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am extremely excited about this episode because, one, it is the 100th episode of the Aspire Podcast, but two, I get one of my favorite guests of all time on the Aspire Podcast, which is Evan Robb. Evan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Josh, yeah, I am so excited to be here and really honored to be a part of the 100th episode of Aspire. You know, as I tell everyone who I come into contact with, I think your podcast is really the gold standard for um, what's happening in, in education today for people to get great information anytime that they want it. So honored to be here. Last time we spoke, you had just released The 10-Minute Principle, which if you haven't gotten that book, you need to do that. I think it has just a wealth of information on leadership. But you've also, since then, you've had another book come out called Team Makers, and then you just released a book on literacy. So will you just talk to the listeners about your latest book on literacy and what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very fortunate. I've had an opportunity to write a book with my mother. Mm-hmm who is really, truly a literacy expert, and she has been teaching me a lot over the years. We both have a strong interest in uh, encouraging reading and encouraging independent reading and instructional reading in schools, and we had an opportunity with Benchmark Publishing to write a book called Schools Full of Readers, and that book is really at its core about how to make reading a priority in school. So it gives strategies and hopefully helps administrators and teachers understand how to create a culture of reading in your school. So I love that aspect of things because literacy touches every single aspect of a school. So what are some strategies that you outline in the book to help educators impact student reading? Well, you know, I think I'm going to start with the most simple, simple strategy that we talk about in the book, which is uh, if you want to get better at anything, you have to practice. And if students are going to get better at reading, they have to read. And so we, we dig into that and dig into schedules and how to have more time for reading within the school day, uh, the power of modeling reading, uh, and the importance of administrators making sure that reading is a priority with their budgets and they're putting money into getting more books into classrooms and getting more books into, into school libraries. For schools that don't have a lot of resources and may not have you know, books available to them, what are some things that they can do to, to help their students get some literature in their hands? Well, you know, and it varies. You know, some schools have, have very large budgets and they have a lot of money for classroom libraries and for their library media centers. Certainly there's schools that don't even have libraries in the country. You know, we encourage schools to connect with local libraries, you know, public libraries in their community, and also to source books from families. You know, sometimes books uh, are lying around the home. They can be donated, donated to buildings and donated to the classrooms. But really the whole focus that we talk about in the book is find ways, creative ways to get books into schools so kids can have an opportunity to engage in literature that is interesting to them uh, because the more the kids read, 
the better um, the better readers they will become. You know, we live in a world where you know, some people are very interested in in, in worksheets and uh, closed reading activities and things of that nature. And that's fine. Or reading programs, you know, online reading programs. You know, Josh, I've never found a reading program that made students love to read. No. You know, yeah, I, I think I think that the, it's a very powerful connection when kids actually get a connection with, with a book or with a particular character or a particular topic. And uh, it's really that love of reading, you know, you want to instill in kids because that's something that they can keep with them for, for their lifetime. No, I love that you said that because, you know, I remember growing up trying to get my hands on comic books and that was <laughs> sports magazines. So it's really were the only things I was reading at the time. And I was told constantly like, no, you can't read that. You need, you need to pick a book. You need to find a book. And some of my teachers now, I'm like, man, I wish I, I was in class with them because it doesn't matter what the child is reading. They allow it and they want to find whatever it's of interest of that student. The kids need to read things that are relevant to them. You know, I think that at some point, because like, someone stays in the pocket all the time and they never venture out of that, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, that a good teacher can help guide a student towards uh, to expand their reading. But there's tremendous value in kids reading. And, you know, I can share, you shared a story about a comic book. Uh, my funny story is, you know, I was not a reader at all when I was in middle school and uh, did a really good job avoiding it. But, but at some point, somewhere around when I was in seventh or eighth grade, you know, I started watching James Bond movies and I really liked them. Um, and this is the date myself is back in the seventies. I think Roger Moore was James Bond back then. Uh, but, you know, then I, I realized through my mother's guidance that the James Bond movies were based off of the novels written by Ian Fleming. And so, you know, that kind of guided me to reading books by Ian Fleming and reading all those James Bond books. And suddenly, you know, I had a character I could relate to and, you know, I just couldn't pull away from books. And that just developed and developed over time and, and helped me become a reader. And so one of my missions and one of the things I'm passionate about is to help teachers and to help schools find things that kids connect to that get them excited about reading um, and then in turn develops them you know, to become readers. So Evan, I'm curious, because you weren't a avid reader growing up, did that affect how you viewed yourself as a writer? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, I had absolutely, that's, that's a great question. I'm going to answer that 100% honestly. I had absolutely no confidence in myself whatsoever as a writer. Uh, when I was middle school, high school, and probably really into college. Mm -hmm. But it, again, at some point, you know, and everyone kind of goes through this, that as you get older and you experience your career, you feel like, hey, you know, I have something to say. I want to, I want to be able to say things to people. Um, and writing is a way to do that. And, um, but I applied some of the same kind of skills that, that I would ask kids to apply in the classroom was in that if you work at something and you're diligent at it, you know, you apply a really good growth mindset, you can actually become better at something. Mm -hmm. And uh, writing is a skill, you know, and it's a skill that you can learn, but just like anything, you have to practice it to get better at it. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that I'm ready to write the next great American novel, but I can write competent enough to be able to get my ideas down now. And, but I found that if I work diligently at it, you know, although it may not be something that comes naturally to me, you know, I could learn how to do it. I don't know about the greatest American novel, but I think you've got enough literature out there to say you're a good writer. <laughs> I, I continue to try to grow as a writer. <laughs> I want to talk about for students who are not seeing success in the classroom, maybe it is with reading or maybe with, with writing, what is it in your school 
particular that you're trying to put in place to allow that growth and you said growth mindset so i'm thinking you know for those students that uh, may not get it the first try do your teachers do anything to allow them to try again or is it you know failure and move on to the next thing that's a great question for the past i'm going to say three or four years our school has been working with someone who's a mutual friend of both of ours um rick warmly oh. Love him. Yeah, he's, fa he's fabulous. And Rick actually lives about 60 miles away from where I work. So I had been able to reach out to Rick and be able to get him into our school. To anyone that's listening to this, uh, if you want to put some money into professional development, bring Rick Wormley in. He is compelling and he's brilliant and, and gets people thinking and thinking differently. And so through, through working with him and through uh, staff studies on grading and best practice grading, looking at the work of Rick, Tom Gusky, Doug Reeves, Dylan William, you know, we started really kind of formulating a collective understanding of how we wanted to go about grading based off of best practices. One of the things that Rick talks about in his teaching is the value of hope. And, you know, kids, kids need hope and adults need hope too. Uh, so being able to retake and relearn is extremely important. You know, one of the things that that I often reflect on with staff is most assessments or tests that we take as adults, we can redo right. and we can redo them for full credit. If you and I both sit for the CPA exam and I pass it the first time or it takes you four or five times to pass it, still we are both CPAs. Yep. And you know, I think that's, it's very important to teach that to kids. And I think it's also important if grading is supposed to be an accurate communication of what students actually know, you want to be able to uh, continually assess them and be able to base their grade off of what they actually know, um, you know, at the time versus something as silly as an average where their prior transgressions uh, could be held against them and in turn water down uh, what their um, actual grade, how their grade is actually communicated. So yeah, that, that's, I think that's incredibly important in schools and it requires a lot of work for teachers and, you know, there's process to go through because uh, to anyone who's trying redos and retakes, uh, you know, there's Rick Wormley gives very, very good ideas on how to go about that strategically. Uh, that makes sense. So teachers don't feel that they're getting gamed or teachers don't feel, uh, you know, that, that they can't manage it. But I'm committed to best practice. I'm committed to doing what's best for kids. Um, and I want everyone, not my staff, but also kids in my building to know that they always have an opportunity to do better. So I want to segue to kind of the situation that we're in right now with remote learning. The structure you just spoke about, what are you guys doing with grading and trying to get students to show mastery in certain concepts? Yeah, it's really challenging. My school system is doing what many school systems in the Commonwealth of Virginia are doing now. And we are not actually grading. Uh, we are assigning a pass or an incomplete, but we are moving forward with curriculum. But one of the things that we've learned as we studied best practice with grading is that, you know, you can run a building without grades but you can't run a building without feedback. So um, feedback becomes incredibly important in remote learning. Yeah. It's, it's different. We are not doing live video streaming now. It's something that we've talked about. We're still looking for uh, the right platforms. We're using Google Classroom. You know, and focusing in on trying to bring some of the elements that make Classroom successful into the remote learning environment. You know, Josh, I know this about you. You know, you understand that one of the things that's really important for the connectivity within schools is those relationships between teachers and students. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, it forms the culture of a building. 
So during remote learning, you know, I, I'm asking myself and asking staff to reflect on, you know, how can you continue to make those positive connections with kids, even though it's different? You know, how can you think about the culture of your classroom and work on creating that culture within a remote learning environment? Mm -hmm. And those things are really challenging. Uh, they're very, very challenging. You know, I find that I think my staff is maxing. I think I think teachers all over the country, you know, are right now trying to kind of figure out the best way to do this. And so, and it's not only the the technical aspects of it, but uh, there are um, there's emotional challenges that, that are going along with this too. You know, when our kids come back, whenever that may be, their social and emotional needs will be um, most important needs that schools will need to address. You know, and then of course the curricular needs also because there is there's gaps you know between kids that are participating and kids that are not you know one of the things that, that i think all educators really focus on is wanting equity and equal access you know within the classrooms but even under the best of circumstances that's hard yeah. i think those inequities are showing more and more across the country and uh, that becomes challenging for my staff but i, I know challenging for staff all over the country and i'm sure for the folks that you're working with too. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, Evan, I, I got a chance to see your interview with Character Strong and one, you did a wonderful job, but two, you talked about the social emotional aspect of things and I'm assuming you're the same way, but I'm trying to think about, you know, when our students do come back to our campuses, how are we even going to begin the year? Because a lot of our students have probably experienced trauma in some form based on the situation that we're in, you know, with job loss, hunger, people being taken out of their homes due to rent issues, whatnot. So, you know, what are some things that you're thinking of, some strategies that you're going to implement with social emotional learning whenever we do come back from the COVID-19 distance learning? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm talking about that a lot with our guidance staff. I mean, I think we're going to be really doubling up on our efforts for class meetings, um, for groups within the building. And we're even right now looking at reaching out to families to make connections. You know, the kids that were struggling in our schools before uh, most schools closed at some point in March, they're struggling now too. Um, and in many cases, they're struggling worse. So I think it's, it's this kind of like combination of working with your guidance staff, empowering them to, to do what they need to do in the building and also to make sure that they are working with admin and teachers to make sure that everyone understands that although it may be tempting to just kind of forge ahead with curriculum, there are gonna be other needs that we're gonna to have to take a look at uh, and other needs that are actually gonna be more important when our kids do come back into the building. Yeah, so I wanna talk about your other book, Team Makers, and I know that was also co-written with you and your mom, Laura Robb, and if you wouldn't mind uh, giving us a quick synopsis of that book. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. You know, I think the, the quick synopsis of Team Makers is, is a belief that uh, everyone working together in education um, is a much better pathway than, than not. And, you know, one of the things that we have found, Josh, is that uh, school divisions, whether they are very big or very small, sometimes um, lack a little bit in communication, lack a little bit in coordination, lack a little bit in parallelism of goals and initiatives. The focus of this book is really about the benefits that people can gain if they are working together, you know, on the same page with initiatives, on the same page with communication, and of course, with the same focus 
to benefit kids. So it, the most simplest message is, you know, TeamMakers is about working together for the collective whole. And we give ideas and strategies in the book. You know, we certainly don't profess to know all the answers because we absolutely don't. But we share ideas and we share reflections and hopefully things that people can read and put them into the context of, of where they work, you know, and see if we can get them to have some additional conversations or think a little bit differently about what they do. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the book is this very simple, it's a simple concept, but, it, but it's interesting if you really think about it, which is that everything that you do is designed to give you exactly what you get. So if a system is not functioning well, um, we would say that the system is designed most likely to not function well. You know, if students are not learning well in a classroom, uh, the classroom is probably designed for that. Mm -hmm. So you need to do something different. And so the, so the message is, is not about pointing you no know, individual blame, but looking systemically at things and realizing that system design um, has a lot to do with, with outcomes. You know, some of that is based off of the, the work of Edward Demings, you know, from total quality management and things of that nature. Um, but we try to relate some of that uh, to, to schools also. I know a lot of leaders feel like they're in isolation. So how can either aspiring leaders or current leaders find connections to make themselves better? Yeah, I think that I think that school leadership is can be somewhat isolating even under the best of circumstances. Uh, the principal position can feel rather lonely. Couple that now with remote learning, you know, it, it feels even more so. I, I think it's important to always find ways to connect with your team. You know, one of the things that, that's interesting as an administrator, and you know this, is that at any given time, you could be tied down to your computer and find good justification to sit in front of your computer and process emails or other information that comes your way. But the kids in your building do not care about that. And that does nothing to also, you know, to build the connections that staff want from an administrator. So I would always encourage anyone to find opportunities when you're in school to get out, to connect with kids, to get into classrooms, to connect with teachers, talk about things you believe in and encourage the great things that you see happening in your school and really be able to give good, positive, specific feedback all throughout the day, connect with your with families also. Now, during this time, during remote learning, it is absolutely a lot more challenging. I know in terms of my building, you know, we connect a lot through Google Hangouts um, where we can have conversations. We use social media, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook uh, to connect with our, with our community. But a lot of the connections that, you know, that I took for granted as an administrator, I don't have right now. And I certainly am learning things all the time. One of the things that I've learned recently, and I say this carefully because I do understand that there are many people who work every day with, um, you know, remote learning. They work at home, you know, have a home office. Uh, it is simply not for me. I find that it's tiring to be in front of my computer and uh, three or four hours in, in front of it or in Google Hangouts, I, I get physically tired. Yes. You know, I like to be up and to move around. And I talk with other administrators that feel that too. So when I mean, we continue to, to think about those things and find ways to connect, and I think you know, the other thing that schools are thinking about also is you know, how do you connect in ways that don't make your partners look bad? You know, so one of the things that you'll see a lot on social media is you know, you'll see a lot of parades or you'll see principals you know, in front of the building in, in funny outfits, waving at parents, and, and that's good. Those things are fine. But there's an opportunity as we're, when we're in this time to really communicate with your colleagues to make sure that things are moving ahead in sync. 
because in small communities, it doesn't help if one particular building is doing all this uh, really outgoing stuff and the other buildings are not. Although it's the intention can be very good, uh, the fallout of it can can be a little bit negative. So it so this time actually, in my mind, really increases the need and, and the opportunities to have communication to make sure that, that things are in sync and people are working together in partnership. So Evan, I'm always curious because it seems like every time I turn around, you've got another project going on and you do fantastic work. So just curious, what is the uh, next project or things that you, you've got your hands in? The next project, I am doing a series of webinars for ACEL Australia on the 10-minute principle. I think I have one on June 10th and one on June 17th. I'm really excited about that. And uh, that'll be fun to connect with some educators who I may never get a chance to meet, but I can meet them sitting here at my desk through my computer. So that's really exciting. Um, and I got a couple other writing articles that I'm working on. You know, you and I talked off the air. I, I'm not, I have to feel a little motivated to, to dig into a book. And I've written several here over the past year and a half and uh, not feeling that motivation right now, but that's okay. I think that when I was younger, that, that was something that would bother me. But now I can just say, well, you know, I'm sure that time will come when I feel the motivation, but not really feeling that now. Yeah. So I have those kind of external things. And, and you know, I'm a full-time principal. So I am working my job with not very non-traditional hours now, trying to understand remote learning and uh, finish up the year for our kids in a way that's that's hopefully good and our families and, and balancing all those things, as I know you are too. Yeah. These are certainly challenging times. There's no doubt about that. Definitely. Obviously, we're in a very, very unique and unprecedented time. So for those who are looking to advance and get to that next level, what are some things that they can do right now under the circumstance to try and potentially move up to that next position? I am a big believer in, you know, always working on your, you know, your personal agency, you know, so I think that uh, although this is an unusual time, there's opportunities to learn. And so there's opportunities to get connected with social media, to start building a PLN, uh, to maybe read particular books that you haven't read or partaking in webinars or things of that nature. So at the core, my advice is always on, you know, increase, increase your capacity and learn, you know, be a learner, because you'll never be able to be an effective administrator if you believe that an effective administrator encourages other people to learn, whether that's teachers to learn or kids to learn, it won't work if you're not doing that also. So I'm all about that kind of parallelism that needs to occur. So I would say, you know, dig into learning things that are interesting to you and, and work on expanding your capacity. And remember that, you know, while you're doing that, the, the core of being an effective administrator is always going to come back to uh, building relationships, building trust with people within uh, within your school, and really figuring out what you believe in. And, uh, you know, and I've been administrator for a long time and I'm always trying to hone in, you know, really what my true core beliefs are and then making sure that, that I'm being consistent and being true with that. But I think that, I think the job of school administrators is going to be changing over, you know, the next couple of years and over the next five to 10 years. And I think that's exciting. You know, I think there's opportunities for young, uh, dynamic, really creative people to work on doing some redefining of some things in education. Uh, because as much as I long for things to go back to the way they were, some of the things that were weren't that good. Yep. You know, one of the things, Josh, that, that, that I've been coming back to a lot over the last couple of weeks is there are people in our country who believe that the only way to get teachers to do something is to put a mandate over them. And, you know, that's kind of manifested with state testing and um, extreme accountability and uh, 
associating teachers' evaluations with test performance, with things that are a little more annoying to me, which is, you know, these kind of beliefs of people that people that go into education are less than, or, you know, there's three reasons to teach, it's June, July, and August. But what I have seen, you know, over the past couple months is a mobilization of educators that has been inspiring and astounding. You know, teachers were not mandated to um, do the remote learning that they're doing. They did it because they knew that it was the right thing to do. You know, of course, working with their administrators, working with their superintendents, uh, but they were able to flip something around incredibly quick. Yeah. You know, if you and I were talking in the end of January, the beginning of February, we would never be talking about, you know, literally flipping education from classroom to remote learning and doing it, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yep. So pretty amazing. You know, I believe that teachers are some of America's best and they've shown their, you know, their abilities and their resiliency and their, their drive during this time. And, um, you know, it is my hope that, that there's an increased appreciation for the work that educators do uh, as we move ahead. Yeah, they definitely need to be celebrated because you're right. It was very little time for them to flip around and have done an excellent job. You talk about the sacrifices being made. The teachers, are it's killing them not to see their students right now. I mean, all educators, they are longing for that connection. And that's the whole reason they went into education. Yeah, you know, no one, for whatever reason, wherever, whatever reason anyone chose to be in education, people that choose education do not want to work in a cubby. And again, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. People do that. That's fine. You know, it's all about personal choices. But people that go into education, you know, they're communicators. They're social. They like to connect. I um, mean, even when the days are bumpy, most teachers that I ask now, they miss those bumpy days because that's part of what, what makes our business fun. For our listeners who may not be connected with you, how can they connect with you on social media? Thanks, Josh. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Principal. And on LinkedIn, if you search my name or on Facebook, you can find me there also. I haven't uh, dived into the waters of Instagram, but I have some friends that, that keep reminding me I just don't have time to do that. And I wanted to tag you the other day and I couldn't do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm simply not there. I am not there, but but who knows, maybe, maybe eventually. I have a, uh, a blog that I'd love people to check out called the Rob Review Blog, where um, very much, very focused on literacy. And I, I do that blog with my mother. And we have a little podcast called the Rob Review Podcast, where we share a little 10-minute sort of uh, informational tidbits that, again, that focus very heavily on reading uh, and creating a culture of reading in your school. And, and would love for people to check that out. Yeah, if you haven't connected with Evan Rob, you definitely need to do that. His website, his blog, his podcast is just a wealth of information. And for any educator, any, any leader, you need to make sure that you dive into his resources. And Evan, as usual, it is phenomenal to have you on the podcast. I love having conversations with you. I could speak to you all night, but I'll let you go with just saying that I, I appreciate you and everything you've done for the podcast. Well, again, I really appreciate being, being on the podcast. And, you know, you, you've done a, an amazing thing with your podcast because especially now, you know, in a time that professional development is really hard to come by. You know, we are not in a time where people are going to go here. People speak to large groups, uh, but they can go to your podcast uh, and they can look up someone that they're connected with on social media or someone that they've, uh, that they may be interested in. And there's a pretty good chance that you've had a conversation with them uh, and they can listen to it in their car or wherever they want to uh, and gain some tidbits of information. So you're doing some really great work and it's an honor to be connected with you. 